Well, open your Bible to the book of Daniel chapter 2. We're in the middle now of a series through the first part of this book where we're looking at the life of Daniel and his friends and how God used a very unlikely situation to turn the course of world events and one in which if we found ourselves, we would probably be really discouraged and sad, uh, but Daniel, um, Daniel had faith, so we can be inspired by his story. Last week we talked about the fact that Daniel was exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. He was carried off to a foreign land, um, an enemy country, a wicked country, far from his family, far from any of the traditions of his faith or his family. And in that moment, he immediately faced a challenge of whether or not he would hold true to his faith or whether he would kind of go along to get along. And Daniel, early in his life, probably about age 16, decided to stay true to God no matter what happened around him, even though probably that would result in him losing his life. God had other plans for Daniel to use him in a way that would help shape world history. And that's why this book and really just these few chapters of Daniel are so exciting. All right, so last week we went through chapter 1. Today we're going to look at chapter 2, and I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you can pull one out from the bottom of one of the seats in front of you, or open it up on your Bible app and go to the NLT version, that's what we'll read, um, just because we'll read an extended section this morning, and I would encourage you to really immerse yourself in it. Uh, sometimes when we're reading long story portions of the Bible, I like to actually try to imagine it happening in my mind, all right, almost like you're watching a movie of what we're reading and uh, this story is actually really exciting, and uh, looking forward to jumping in here. So, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. One night, during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had a disturbing dream. He couldn't sleep. He called his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. Now, zoom in on that for a second. What did he actually ask them to do? Not... I'm going to tell you my dream and you tell me what you think it means. He wanted them to tell what he had dreamed. Okay, so, so you can imagine if you're one of the sorcerers or astrologers, you're kind of leaning in going, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that for you, king. I'm going to need a little bit more information before I can really be of assistance, right? Well, they tried that. We'll see what happens to them. He said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me. I must know what it means. The astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream and then we'll tell you what it means. But the king said to his astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Just a little bit of pressure, right, to get this right. So obviously the king wants them to do something truly supernatural. And obviously, the astrologers and fortune tellers, as fun as their work might be, is not actually supernatural. So they're immediately caught with like, hey, the usual tricks of our trade are not going to work because we have no idea what's inside the mind of the king. Well, they said again, verse 7, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know that I'm serious. When I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed. So if you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I'll change my mind, but tell me the dream and then I'll know 
that you can tell me what it means. In other words, I'm not going to believe your opinion. If you can do something supernatural and tell me the dream, then I'll believe your interpretation. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they don't live here among the people. Well, the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. Again, there's no half measures in Babylon. It's kind of an extreme place. If you think about it from like a governance perspective, this isn't actually the brightest idea because you do have to run your kingdom and if you kill everybody who's wise, like what's going to happen next? But he wasn't thinking that. He was angry. He's frustrated. He knows this dream's important. And so the edict goes out. All the wise men of Babylon need to be killed. Now that includes more than just the astrologers and enchanters that he was talking to. This is all the wise men. Who would also be a wise man in this situation? Who learned in the schools of Babylon all the literature? Who is known for his wisdom? Daniel. So, the king was furious. Then verse 14, Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them. This is Daniel and his friends. Daniel handled the, situa- handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? You have to imagine, like, how would your response to that door knock be? Like, knock, knock, hi, I'm here to kill you uh, by decree of the king. Daniel handled it pretty calmly, didn't he? Hey, well, wait, by the way, why is, it, why is this happening exactly? Um, well, Ariok told him what had happened. In verse 16, Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven, saying, Praise the name of of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness. Though he's surrounded by light, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Well, then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw while you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, 
but because God wants you to understand what is in your heart. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on the threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Now, those of you who've read this before and you kind of know what this means, this is pretty exciting stuff, right? Some of you are scratching your heads. You, this is your first time reading this and going, I, I'm going to need a little more interpretation. Well, the king did too. Verse 36, that was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He's made you ruler over all the inhabited world and has given even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise and take your place. And after that kingdom has fallen, a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all the previous empires just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and the toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron. While some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or crushed, conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock, cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. This dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Well, king Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him, and he commanded the people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon. This is a pretty big turn of events here, right? In this last chapter, Daniel's entering in as a captive, probably on the path to slavery and death if he doesn't really follow what the king wants. And all of a sudden now, he's in charge of the city of Babylon. Pretty amazing how God lifted him up. As well as he was the chief over all the wise men, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. 
So there's a lot we can talk about and learn from this, and, and I want to do two things. We'll, we'll spend a little bit of time, and we'll look at the vision that the king had and see how that ties to where we are now, because the king had a vision, a prophecy, that we have the benefit of looking in history to see how it was fulfilled. Like some Bible prophecies aren't fulfilled yet, so we read them, we scratch our head, and we say, well, maybe it means this, you know. But here's a situation where there was a prophecy, and then over the centuries following that prophecy, you see it come to pass, and now we can look back, read the prophecy, and read history, and say, okay, here's how it all happened. So we'll do that. But I also want to look at what Daniel's attitude was in this situation. Somehow, Daniel was able to set aside what I'm sure was a lot of angst, maybe even anger in his heart. Um, his homeland had been destroyed by this king. And yet Daniel was willing to serve in Babylon and end up in charge of Babylon not that long after he arrived. Why? So we'll answer that question in just a moment. First of all, no matter what was thrown at Daniel, he honored God first and he added value to every situation he found himself in. He didn't let bitterness ruin his opportunities. He trusted God, even though his life made absolutely no sense. And God used him in an amazing way. Now, the king's dream that if you want to try to imagine what that statue he was dreaming of might have looked like, um, it really shows the empires of the world rising and falling until the time of Jesus. So if you go back to history, you realize, okay, the Babylonian Empire was the superpower of this time, but in the course of the text we'll read, like by the time we get to the end of Daniel chapter 5, the Babylonian Empire is destroyed and taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire, which is represented by the torso of the statue. And then, um, after the Medo-Persians, you know, did their thing for a few centuries, they were overtaken by the Greek Empire, the Hellenistic Empire, and, and they were influencing the world, and Alexander the Great, you know, ran out of places to conquer, and all of that happened. But then, a stronger empire arose that, in a way, was stronger, but had some weaknesses built into it, and that gets us all the way up to New Testament era. What empire was that? The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, strong as iron, right? Crushed all the previous kingdoms. And during that Roman Empire period, a rock was cut out of a mountain and was thrown against this statue, and all the global empires came crashing down and turned to dust to the point where you can't even really find them now, have a little trouble remembering, just some ruins out there in the middle of Iraq or Persia or something. But what kingdom still remains and covers the whole world? The kingdom of Jesus. Jesus, a totally different kind of king, representing a whole different kind of kingdom, and the global empires and all the power of mankind was no match for that. So somehow... In God's wisdom, he decided to give Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, all of this insight that would fill in the blanks for the rest of history from his time up until Jesus would come and establish his kingdom, which is pretty cool, right? Now, there's more to study about all of that, and I'd encourage you to do it. It's a lot of fun. But I want to, I want to ask kind of the obvious question, and that is, why was Daniel playing along with this king? 
Why would Daniel let this king even know the answer? Why wouldn't he just keep his mouth shut and say he deserves whatever he gets? I mean, after all, King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. Well, Daniel's faithfulness to God wasn't just about his own life. It was part of a larger story of world affairs and God's overall plans. Okay, and here's how we can understand this. Like, why would Daniel serve, in theory, a government, be a willing participant in the Babylonian government? Well, before Daniel left Jerusalem, or as he was leaving, Jeremiah the prophet wrote a letter to the exiles, so the people that were being uprooted from their homeland and shipped to Babylon. And this letter was to be essentially their instruction from God about how to act while they're in Babylon. And it's really fascinating because you would think if you were exiled from your home country and cast into a foreign place, probably everything in your heart would say, I just want to go home. So you might even start thinking like, well, maybe we could you know, mount some sort of revolution and get back home somehow. Or, or maybe this is only going to last a little while. Like maybe God will rescue us like he did from the hand of Pharaoh or something and we'll be back home in no time. So Jeremiah the prophet wrote a letter to the exiles, Daniel among them, to instruct them what they should expect. And we see right away that even though Nebuchadnezzar was the human agent that made this whole thing happen, who actually made this whole thing happen? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So God is at work here in ways that you don't immediately see. You have to have the whole story to realize there's a bigger plan going on. Well, what was the letter? Jeremiah said to those exiles, Daniel among them, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren, multiply, do not dwindle away. So rather than just kind of like sitting there in Babylon hoping for rescue, recognize you're going to be there a while, make the most of it. This is a command directly from God to these captives. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. What's miraculous here is that within just a short period of time, Daniel isn't just working for the peace of the city of Babylon. What's he doing? He's running the city of Babylon. Say, wow, God brought his people into exile and then established one of their own as the overseer of the whole situation to protect them, to guide them, to set the stage for what would happen next. So even in the midst of the exile, which was a tragic period, a dark period in the history of God's people, God was still at work, and God wasn't surprised by any of the things that were happening. He was pulling some of the levers here to make things work out. Now, there's more to the letter. Okay, so Daniel's obviously doing this, and you say, well, why would Daniel even be nice to Nebuchadnezzar? Why would he? Well, it's because he was instructed by God to do this, and God is going to use Daniel in a very unexpected way. This is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. If you're reading this letter you're old enough to read this letter, what does it probably mean about you and ever getting home? It's not going to happen, right? I mean, if you're lucky, maybe you'll be 85 years old or something and you could stumble into the homeland, but probably not going to happen for you. 
Your kids, maybe, your grandkids can go back. But by God's promise here, any life purpose you're going to live is going to be lived in Babylon. Thus, make the most of it. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city you're in. Build your home. Have your family. Live, live a life that honors God there. Don't expect some sort of rescue to go home. But then God says, I will come and do for you all the good things I promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I think that's amazing. Daniel, in the midst of all of the turnover in his life and all the trials and threats he was under, he was trusting God beyond his lifespan because he's thinking, you know, I'm a part of a narrative here. I won't probably get to see the resolution of all this, but I'm called to be faithful today. Daniel was obeying God's command for how to act while in the exile. He was adding value to his earthly community, like the peace and prosperity of the city of Babylon, because he had an eternal purpose. So this is really important, right? He wasn't serving Babylon because he thought, man, Babylon really is great. I don't know if he even cared about Babylon. He's running Babylon. He's adding value where he is, not because he believes in the world system. He just interpreted a dream that said all of this was temporary anyway. He's doing it because he's trusting in God's kingdom, and that's what he's anchoring his identity and his hope in. And so he's adding value here on earth, knowing that he's a part of something a lot bigger than this earth. And I also think that's why he was able to stay calm under pressure. He was trusting God. I don't know how everything's going to work out. Not every exile had a great story like Daniel. Some of them just died. But they were all part of the story that God was weaving together to ultimately accomplish his purpose, which ultimately gets us to the New Testament. So, what does this mean for you or for me? We say we want to follow Daniel's good example here. And I think about the letter that was given to Daniel from Jeremiah and the other exiles. I think about the directive of recognizing that as long as you're in Babylon, make the most of it. And I think about this. Lord, I know I'm here for a while. I don't know if you've ever contemplated moving, but have you ever noticed that when you do have that little imagination in your mind, you immediately start to change priorities? Like if you think, hey, I might move next year, you think, well, it's not worth having a garden anymore, or it's not worth planting that new tree, I won't be there when it grows up, or uh, maybe I should, you know, I don't really want to invest in new friendships if we're just going to uproot, and all of a sudden all the priorities start to change if you think you're going to move. But if you think you're going to stay, you make long-term investments. So we recognize as long as we're here in this world, which will probably be a while, Lord, I want to make the most of my life. I'm not just going to sit in the corner and hope for rescue or rapture or something. Instead, I'm here, and every moment I have, I want to maximize. Okay? So this might be the way that we could bring this attitude into our lives. While I'm waiting for God's plans to unfold, how do you want me to maximize my life, Lord? How do you want me to act in Babylon, the Babylon that I live in? How can I add value to this temporary world, even though it's not the future? So just like Daniel, he, he knew that the Babylonian Empire would one day fall. So all the political work, he, I mean, you can imagine it's probably a lot of work to administrate the city of Babylon. 
all that work, he knew it wasn't going to add up to anything eternal. But he was serving faithfully because he had the bigger picture in mind. Lord, what do you want me to build and do in the time that I have in my life or the time I'm here in Berrien County or the, the time that I'm in my home? What do you want me to do with that opportunity? Lord, how can I work in a way that glorifies you? I look through this story and I think not only of what we've already studied, but what's coming. I think at any, at any sort of stop on this journey, if Daniel would have had a bad attitude, the forward progress of the story would have stopped and derailed, and God would have had to use someone else to accomplish his purpose. But because Daniel had faith, God used him, not just when he was a 16-year-old or here a few years later, but as we'll get through the story by the time we're in chapter 6, you might say Daniel would have been in his 80s. His whole lifetime he spends serving God faithfully in situations that are far less than ideal. And God used him. My eternal purpose is what motivates my earthly productivity. So when you go to school tomorrow morning, actually you don't have to go to school tomorrow morning, right? It's a holiday. Okay, when you go to school on Tuesday morning, you don't take the test or write the paper or listen to the teacher because that's going to last forever. Amen? Right? Our kids, yeah, that's right. The math isn't going to last forever. But it matters now because your life matters and your life being maximized matters. You go to work tomorrow morning. Those of us who don't get to work for the government probably do have to work for tomorrow, right? And so we're going to head into work, and you might go, man, I wish I could lay aside all this temporary work and like work in the ministry. As one who does work in the ministry, I can tell you there's a lot of temporary stuff you have to do in the ministry too. But here's the truth. Anything we do, we can do for God's glory. Whatever job you have, you can say, Lord, I'm putting my hands to this in the spirit of the same reason Daniel did his work, so that I can honor you, and so that in whatever I have in my life or my giftings, my opportunities, I'm maximizing that. I'm working for the peace and prosperity of the city I live in, the people I care about that are around me. I want to honor you with each interaction that I have. You can face each day with that productive purpose because you have an eternal purpose in your heart. Because you're looking forward to something that transcends this world, it gives you purpose in this world. So don't waste your life. Daniel didn't waste his, and we don't have to waste ours. There'll be days when you feel like things aren't adding up, things don't make sense. What's striking about the story of Daniel is that none of it added up until the end. I mean, along the way, Daniel is seeing God work in his life, but you can imagine there were a lot of days when Daniel was thinking, Lord, what in the world are you doing with me? Why am I even here? But God used him because he stayed faithful, and God will use you as you stay faithful. So let's pray and ask for God's courage this week as we seek to live this out. Lord, we thank you for filling the scriptures with examples like this. In our daily lives that feel so mundane, that might feel like we're spinning our wheels or running in a rat race or just striving to survive, 
you have a transcendent, eternal purpose in mind for each one of us. And we live that purpose by fully applying ourselves to the work in front of us wherever we are. We live that purpose by dedicating every aspect of our lives to you. Not to serving an employer or a teacher or a kingdom of this world, but serving you in all of those things. Lord, would you give us this week the faith to go into our lives on purpose, not to yearn for something to change, not to say that we'll get to it when we're older or things are different or easier, but this day, Lord, we want to dedicate to you. In fact, Lord, as we pray and in just a moment as we sing, we pray that you would take every aspect of our lives and use it for your purpose. We don't want anything about our lives to be wasted. What our hands do, what our lips say, what our brains think, where our feet take us, all of that can matter in eternity if it's dedicated to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.